You're listening to the Skylight Books Podcast. We're an independent, general interest bookstore putting great reads in the hands of people in the Los Feliz neighborhood of Los Angeles. Hosted by resident Skylighters, we're here to bring you new and exciting author conversations, group reads, and bookseller chats. Happy listening. We're doing it. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us for this very special preview launch event for Disciples, which is being published by Fantagraphics. Benjamin Mara is the author of several acclaimed graphic novels from Fantagraphics, including Terror Assaulter, OMWOT, Night Business, and American Blood. He received a BFA in illustration from Syracuse University, studied in Florence, Italy, and earned his MFA degree in illustration from the School of Visual Arts. He lives in Montreal. David Burke is a screenwriter known for the films Elle, Slenderman, and 13 Sins. He lives in Tarzana with his wife and two daughters. And Nicholas McCarthy is a writer and director known for The Pact, At the Devil's Door, and The Prodigy. And we are so excited to have all of them with us this evening. Say hello, gents. Hi. <laughs> hello. Hello. <laughs> um, so as everyone knows, um, this book is not quite out yet. And so we are going to try and have a conversation that isn't very spoiler heavy because there are some very fun and interesting and exciting and horrific things that happen and we want you to experience them for yourselves. So let's go ahead and start um, with maybe Ben, you telling us about where this story idea came from and how this book sort of came to be. Sure, so, um, well, the story idea came from these two gentlemen. who are incredible writers. Um, and I was introduced to them through mutual friend, John Schoenfelder. I was telling John how much I loved Paul Verhoeven's movie, L, And John was like, well, I know the screenwriter of that movie. Do you wanna meet him? So um, he introduced me to David and then David and I were talking and we were sort of thinking, seeing some talking about some th- some projects that we could possibly collaborate on. And uh, then John suggested this uh, script that he had written with Nick called Disciples. And I read it and it blew my mind and I could totally see it as a graphic novel. And the reason why I wanted to adapt it was I felt like with some of my books, I was falling into a little bit of a uh, groove into into kind of a pattern. <clears throat> Excuse me. And um, this story was one that was so well told, but it was something that I would have never written for myself. So I thought it was an interesting challenge, and um, you know, I just wanted to collaborate with these two guys because it was uh, it's such a great story. Um, And like I said, it it just sort of like came as I was reading it, I could kind of visualize and see it in my mind, um, what the pages would be like. uh, So I was just very inspired. And um, then, you know, I met with these guys and and we talked a lot about um, the story itself, but they just sort of were like, go crazy, do whatever you want. And And I was very meticulous in my adaptation of it. And it took a while. It took a couple of years um, for me to finally complete it, but now we're done and here we are. (laughs) And then uh, for David and Nick, uh, 
having written a story that most of your stories end up in a film visual medium, what was the what was the idea? What was running through your head when someone was like, maybe this maybe this will be a, a graphic novel? What was that sort of different idea like when it came to you? Well, it was I mean, it was it was a surreal thing and it still is a surreal thing. Like, you know, I think when David and I both read the first sort of version of it that was sent, it was it was uncanny how faithful, you know, uh, Ben was to it. And the, I guess, you know, the, the strange thing about a court is like that there's, there's a relationship between these mediums, right? You know, um, pictures that tell stories, that's what the cinema is. Um, and so it's as if someone directed our movie in still images, you know, and um, in, in, in Ben's particular style, which is, I didn't know Ben's work. Uh, and then John, who's the producer on the movie, gave us um, Night Business to read. And when I read that one, it was just, it was, that, it was so insane, that book. Um, <laughs> like, this guy can do anything. He wants. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, David, I mean, can maybe we should tell also like the, the story of how we ended up writing this thing in the first place too? Like, yeah. yeah. Well, basically, um, basically, I, well, to go way back, I, I wrote a script, uh, like pretty much when I was fresh out of UCLA, uh, like, like this is like 25 years ago. Um, and I, I wrote a script that, a, that a young Alyssa Milano was going to do <laughs> like wow. a teenage Alyssa Milano. And then it, uh, but it didn't, it didn't happen. I think her, her mother said, there was going to be nudity in it, and then her mother said, "No more nude scenes after um, Embrace of the Vampire." I think another another movie that she made around around that time. She was she was on a kick, I think, at that that period. Um, but uh, there were always I I basically um, have a kind of a, a perverse fear of letting anything go to waste, so I always um, cannibalize things for parts. Basically, it's like the <laughs> the Indian ethic of, you know, eating every part of the animal or something. So I, I basically, we were with Nick, we were talking about like working on something. And so I kind of hoped um, to kind of uh, like, like get the ball rolling by mentioning this old script of mine that, that never, nothing ever happened with um, that had a couple of interesting elements in it. So, so then I just kind of told Nick this story in a, in a coffee house. And then he called me a couple of days later and told me he was writing it and it was coming, coming, uh, coming along re really well. And so then I said, oh, okay, I guess this is the thing we're, we're, we're doing then. So then, um, <laughs> then we just, then he, he pretty much did, did uh, half a draft or a full or a full draft. I don't remember. And then, and then I did a draft and we just kind of like, went back a few times and then ended up with this, uh, this script that was basically half him and, uh, and half me and ho hopefully like a nice marriage of that. Um, but also I think, and I think Nick already said this, but the, the main thing though, is that this book is really uh, Ben Mara's baby. This is his work. When I, when I heard that he was doing this, just what amazed me was the amount of work that this was going to be. 
and I was I was just blown away that somebody was going to invest that kind of two years uh, of 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 work and making making this this thing. Um, and he of course did a did a phenomenal job beyond what I could have imagined possible. St- you know, starting with this, you know, it was basically just an unproduced script that was laying around, and he took it and turned it into a, a you know dare I say a work of art. So um, I was just very, very impressed by all that. And um, yeah, and, and so so I, I almost feel like, um, like an interloper even talking about it, because this is really, really Ben's thing, basically. Yeah. So that, that, that I think that's, that's sort of the yeah. gist of the back. I, I should say too, like, specifically, I think maybe, Ben, you could probably speak to this, like, you connected sort of with what was in her story in a way, you know, on a sort of psychic level. And what was the, why it was a great experience sort of coming up with the story is that, you know, when you collaborate with someone, the whole idea is that you're not looking to work with someone who's going to agree with you, that, you know, they're going to bring whatever they, you know, whoever they are to it. And so when David and I did meet in this coffee shop, I mean, he specifically, you know, we sort of want to avoid what exactly is happening in this story but david specifically described this idea in this story that he had never kind of done anything with which was about someone who had lived so long that they forgot who they were and had become a different person and then i had told him that i had been working on a story that i never really finished or done anything with about someone who was living trapped inside of a plywood box (laughs) And, and and those were like the those two things together, and we were in a coffee shop in the, in the San Fernando Valley, which is where David grew up, and we started to talk about the, the horror movies made in the Valley in the 70s, I remember, and it was sort of like this, this sort of grubby, you know, horror movies that were, you know, like the Death Master and the Toolbox Murders, and the, the sort of films that like were something terrible has happened happening in this sort of very sort of almost banal pre-planned, you know, California environment. And it was like all those things getting brought together. And why it was, I think it turned into something that maybe Ben started to respond to is that, you know, we weren't getting paid to do this. Like I had met David because he had been paid to write um, a script for a remake of a French film that I was attached to, uh, to direct. And then this was just like me coming to him with this idea about someone in the plywood box and he had this thing about this person that lived forever. And then it sort of just kept going. And, and when I would work with him, like there was one particular time when I just knew, and I think David, you just started to write the first movie you wrote for Paul Verhoeven then, I think when we were doing this, I think you were just starting to, I mean, uh, and yeah, I, yeah and, and I sort of knew why Paul Verhoeven was interested in working with you because there was a moment when I was like, we'd writ- I had written the first draft, and I, again, without getting into spoilers, I said something like, I don't know, we should find some way to uh, you know, sort of express that she has this attachment to this thing that happened in her past, and she kind of can't let it go. And David, without like batting an eye, was like, yeah, well, maybe she's having sex with her boyfriend and like cuts him and is like licking at the blood, and that's the only way she can come. And I was like, all right, so this is like the, immediately the, where this person is going. <laughs> and, you know, but there's a freedom in some ways when there isn't any 
constraints to, we just wanted to write something that we thought was interesting. And I think maybe that's why all that chemistry came together for Ben, who clearly from Night Business and the other work of his I'd seen had a similar sort of perverse sensibility, you know? So. And Ben, before I have you jump in and answer that, maybe you can speak to, I'm sure these guys have a, like there's pushback on things in the film world a lot of the time um, in terms of content, depending on who you're making something for, or what you're making. And um, maybe Ben, you could speak a little bit to your work in comics and with Fantagraphics, like these guys knew exactly what their story was and you were able to, as they've said, uh, so graciously, faithfully commit it to the page um, as a work of art. And in in what I've seen from Fantagraphics titles, there's not much pushback because they're letting people tell their stories. But maybe you could tell us a little bit about um, any of your work in comics and being able to tell a story faithfully from where it starts to where it ends. Yeah. So um, yes, yeah, so with Fantagraphics, yeah, there there is no pushback at all. They just want you to tell your story, and they will support you a thousand percent. That's why Fantagraphics exists in the first place. And you know, uh, with, with like creators like me can just um, kind of you know have their be able to tell their stories without uh, yeah any constraints, and um, they're one hundred percent supportive in that endeavor and yeah they're just um they're amazing in that regard and then they put out uh super high quality books and on top of it and it's just uh yeah they're just an amazing publishing company mm -hmm. um, like, go ahead ben, ben with like with like night business yeah have you ever do you ever like do you ever get shit for the content in your work which is you know, can be fairly extreme. Yeah, of course. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Um, yeah, it's not stuff that um, everyone is super psyched about. Um, but I, I just come from a background of art training where you're kind of taught to go to those places, even if you yourself are really uncomfortable like those are the places that you want to explore and test and um you know not everybody really wants to go to those places with you all the time so uh for me i always felt like the reason why i started making comics was because i felt like comics had lost a lot of their teeth um i felt like the comics that i was seeing um in barnes and noble where i would go and read them without paying um due to my lack of you know of income um i felt like they were they were comics that i absolutely hated and so i started so i would i i started making comics because i was making the comics that i actually wanted to see and read and that's comes from a tradition of the comics that made um you know frederick wortham unhappy in the 1950s and you know inspired him to write the book seduction of the innocent which led to comics being the only art form in america that created a body to self-censor itself um so it so i wanted to go back to that tradition um of like ec comics and 
um, the underground comics of the 60s and tell some crazy stories that were in my mind. And um, yeah, so that that that's sort of what was, what what generated you know the ideas for for me making comics, but um, or where my inspiration came from. But uh, yeah, yeah the, yeah, the comics themselves, they don't yeah they're not super popular with some people. <laughs> <laughs> I was really struck by the way of like I remember when you were gonna paint the the cover for Disciples and you had sent a bunch of sort of examples of the the art that was on a lot of the like a lot of the spanish comic art and and also like the sort of beautiful painted covers from those like 70s horror comics and stuff like yeah you know george wilson in particular mm -hmm. do uh do you guys want me to pull the cover up and you can tell us a little bit about it talk about it a little bit okay sure. There's a story, Ben. I, I have that thing. That Some visual element great. other than my face would be great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's see. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Now, Ben, can, let me tell. Let me tell you the, the. Let me tell the story of part of the inspiration for this, which was, I was texting with you and you were talking about how you had thought about this cover. And I sent you, I sent you a, a, well, first I sent, sent you the poster for Short Night of Glass Dolls. It was a Jalo film. Which yeah. Had sort of, and you, you really responded to that. But then I actually have it on my wall right behind me. Let me get it. It's this lobby card of this, like, uh, of this Italian, it's actually, and it's, see the, uh, I don't know if the glare, let's see if I can see it. If you can see, there's a knife right there. Right, it's yeah, the that's it. There it is. You can kind of see it. I just said, I just took a picture of that on my cell phone. There's I sent it to you. Oh. <laughs> there it is. Yeah, and it's a movie called Lizard in a Woman's Skin. Great and, movie. And I, and I just thought it was so cool that you like that I sent you that, and you instantly were like that that, that thing. <laughs> but it's that same kind of 1970s. You know that's a nineteen that's a nineteen seventies movie poster, a lurid movie poster. That is totally your style. You know. Yeah, I mean, when we were talking about um, disciples before I started drawing it, uh, I think we were we were all on the phone together, and David brought up Russ Meyer, and um, Beyond the Valley of the Dolls, which is you know one of my favorite films. <laughs> and even though I don't feel like tonally we totally get to that place. I just love that, um, what that movie is sort of all about. And uh, that sort of sensibility and, you know, the visual aspects of it. And so any anytime that I can kind of hopefully make any kind of reference to the 70s and that era of filmmaking and the crazy sort of horror movies that were being made and the, you know, and Giallo movies, which, or another reason why I started making comics too, and something that I think we all share a love for. Um, like the, anytime I can kind of do something related to those things, um, I'm super happy. That's sort of like, you know, the place of creativity that you want to draw from. Yeah. Yeah. 
And uh, I remember when I met you in Toronto, you sort of talked a lot about, you didn't really talk about your interest in comics. You talked about how like horror movies and exploitation movies were as like as much of a influence on your art, right? Yeah, I mean, it's funny because I love, I love comics, obviously, I make comics. Um, but for stories and storytelling, a lot of my uh, inspiration is taken from movies and um, my experience watching movies or just the, the culture of movies from like the 70s and then the 80s, which was when I was really growing up. Um, those have like really powerful uh, experiences in my mind. And I think that the, that's what sort of comes out in the comics. I love to draw, but I need, like, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a draftsman first. So, but I, I love making comics. So I need to pin these drawings onto a story and the stories that come out are the ones that are sort of inspired by just like, yeah, 1970s and eighties movies, mostly horror or just genre films in general, I guess. Yeah. And the, the story of disciples is, is very much like about a few different decades that are sort of intersecting. Right. Right. You know, it's sort of like the sixties and seventies and eighties, like intersecting with, with right now without right. revealing too much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I, I just want to say also that I, that I like very much the style that he drew this in too. It, it really captures that seventies thing. What I, he captures that specific thing that I like in those seventies movies, which is also, and again, I, I, you know, I don't really have the language to describe this properly, but there, there's kind of, there's a starkness and almost kind of a, a kind of a primitivism uh, sometimes in the drawing. And it reminds me a lot of in, in those, those seventies movies, they're, they're much scarier than any, like, like the slasher movies or whatever they made in the eighties, partly because you kind of felt like anything could happen in them because they, they weren't made by, they were clearly not made by a studio. They were clearly made by like some crazy guy in, in Texas with like a 16 millimeter <laughs> camera. And you just kind of felt like, oh, this isn't, this is not somebody who's going to be necessarily playing by the rules. I think we've also talked about like assault on uh, precinct, whatever that begins with the child getting blown away. Um, oh, right. Yeah. And, and it's like, and, 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 and because it, John Carpenter wasn't known at that time, the, the very low budgetness of it and the kind of the grunginess of it. Yes. Um, uh, made it that oh my god this could be a this this almost feels like a snuff movie or something and you're drawing while being beautiful and elegant at the same time also kind of has this this kind of underground kind of kind of quality to it where you feel like oh this could get really nasty basically yeah it's it's almost like you're like who is this guy yeah like <laughs> right. yeah it's like, it's like you're a crazy guy scribbling away in some basement or right. Yeah. And it, I think that's right, David, too. It's like, that's the quality of like, it's, you're sort of talking about like from a lot of those, you know, movies that were independent films from back then, they, and Texas Chainsaw, I guess, being the sort of king of that mountain. It's right. like, yeah. it, the, 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 what was frightening about it is that there was this kind of lack of beauty that you associate with films, that there was always be this aesthetic attention to, to beauty in, in the way something was photographed and art directed and people were dressed and that, there was this sort of 
new time happening. And of course that went hand in hand with this lack of censorship and just culture going fucking insane. And so it's sort of like, yeah, there was a sense of a lot of those films where you're like, who, it's not just scary what you're seeing happening, but the style of it makes you think, who would even do this? Like, why, why would someone actually, it's like, it's like, what's scarier? Like the people who did this or like what you're seeing and portraying on screen. And I think that's right with like Ben's sort of stark style. It's like, it's sort of, it's so simple. It, um, it strips away uh, a lot. And I think, Ben, you thought about doing it in color for a while, didn't you? Yeah, I was just going to bring that up. Um, I couldn't, I did, I did, it's, I did several drafts of like the first three pages to try to nail down the color uh, palette and like the application of color. What you can do these days, you know, is you can uh, simulate sort of old comic style coloring. And I thought that that would be appropriate, but I just, I wasn't able to get it to a place where I felt like nailed sort of how the story felt or how I wanted it to feel. And, um, which is just like you guys were describing it, which is like that low budget quality of those horror films or underground comics or underground comics too. Um, just that dinginess, that rawness, but I just wasn't able to get there. So, and I knew that that layer of doing the coloring would add a whole nother, you know, amount of time of production that I wasn't super keen on adding to the, to the mix. So, um, just keeping it black and white was with, uh, with some screen tones applied. Here what if there. we saw like the, that image that we were talking about before of, uh, yeah. that page, whatever page it is, it's like eight or not, whatever it is. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to close the screen share for a minute. Cause I don't want to, we're not going to let everybody see what we're scrolling past. Um, <laughs> it's too good. We don't want to. We don't want to spoil it. It's yeah. filthy. It's absurdly upsetting. <laughs> things that they're seeing. It's going to made it bigger for everyone, so we'll scroll through the uh, the panels here. Sure. I love that dark. Her dark face there, that first panel. Yeah, um, it's funny. Like uh, she's, I don't think I'm spoiling anything by saying that she's, <laughs> she's sort of, she's well lit in other uh, parts of the story um, in her introduction, and so I wanted this shot of this character on the top left here to have her face all in shadow in this moment where. Uh, things have kind of shifted in her personality. So um, she's now sort of like unknown to these uh, two girls. And she also has joined in, you know, with the others, with her friends there who are showing up. Right. Yeah. And, and like, you realize that it's not right. one person. There's, there's many of them. Yeah. I was um, super inspired by this inker, Klaus Jansen, um, who inked who's a legendary inker for Marvel Comics who inked Daredevil during Frank Miller's famous run and inked Dark Knight Returns and among other 
incredible comics. And in the 1970s, he did some uh, Conan magazine, like Savage Sword of Conan issues with John Buscema or Buscema. And uh, they're just like incredibly inked. And uh, I just want, I wanted to sort of emulate his style, which is like so fresh. And so what he calls impressionistic inking. Um, so I was, tr I was trying to use the same kind of energy to ink these pages, which is a combination of um, a crow quill pen and brush. But I used the brush very, it was really loaded with ink. So the ink would just really go down very fast. Even the crow quill, like I would use nibs that the ink would just rush out of them to get onto the page. I wanted that speed to kind of help me. It was partly, um, I wanted to have that, that feeling of, um, of freshness in the drawings. It also contributes a little bit to it, to the raw quality, but also, uh, it sort of emulates it's it it's a style that was created for comics by uh, necessity because comics need to be done super quick the deadlines were you know just a few weeks to to create these things so artists had to really move fast and a lot of the styles is is them moving quickly to get pages done so i wanted to kind of capture that with this book if we scroll down, that's like my favorite. It's like these four panels. Yeah. <laughs> so cool. I initially had some background in there, like just some foliage just done in screen tone to kind of give them something to sit on top of or push them forward with. But I ended up thinking that they've worked better just without any backgrounds at all, just with clearer storytelling. Yeah, you don't want to meet these these girls. No. <laughs> in, the, in the woods at night. No. And this is uh, the last one we're gonna we're gonna yeah, show you. Right? Yeah. Yeah, that ended up being really fun a fun page to draw and ink. And I felt like you know when you ever you do one of these comics, for at least for me, uh, you're sort of during the first several pages discovering the visual identity of the book. And with each of my stories, I try to do something a little bit different um, with how I approach them drawing wise. And so I felt like on this page, the way it came down, um, it, this one sort of like cemented how the rest of the book was going to feel for me drawing drawing it so it, it definitely this this sort of that's what i that's what i remember when i look at this page mm -hmm. um there's a story too with that moment that i um i just realized that um david one of the first conversations i had with you when we were sort of talking about valley movies that would take place in the valley stories that would take place in the valley since you grew up in the valley and you just were talking about how different it was back then, and that there were woods there. And I was like, there are woods in the Valley Bear? And I remember said, yeah, there was a trail, and we'd walk into the walk in the trail, and it would lead to this other street, and there was only one house there, and in that house, there was a magician who lived there. Oh, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's, that's, that's like true. the most 
strange and magical thing. <laughs> yeah, it is true. It, it wasn't exactly woods. It was more like an overgrown giant vacant lot. But there was a, a house across that vacant lot had a giant um, marquee of a, of a very sinister, satanic, Anton LaVey-looking uh, magician. And he was, a, he was the great Dante. He was... Uh, Nice. Apparently, he, his heyday was the 50s. He was very famous. I think he was dead already by the time I was born. Wow. Um, but they still had his, I guess it was from Times Square or something, this giant marquee of him uh, propped up in the backyard of the house. And my brother and I actually, when we, we like, it would be kind of like do a creepy crawl around the magician's house. It was actually quite, quite scary because it was just like, it was just in the backyard leaning against the house. And one time, some there was like a loud crack of a door opening. Somebody was coming out the back door, and we we ran away. It was it was a very Texas massacre yeah. spawn yeah. ran kind of vibe <laughs> to that, that house. Yeah, it sounds like a Stephen King opening. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right, <laughs> the magician who lives there. Yeah, I mean, yeah, nothing then, nothing that interesting actually happened, but <laughs> but those but that idea, I think that's even in there in in this story. It's like there's the character, you know, it's just been really. I can't really talk too much about them who talks about how the like how things were like in the valley like isn't there there's some dialogue that they're they're talking about how they there used to be they used to shoot cowboys and indians movies and i remember them and like it's sort of that idea of like this place that is you know changed before your eyes like these characters who can sort of see it i mean that all that just came from talking to you the first time you know it's like how yeah. And and how those films like looking you can look at a movie and it's like I mean David you're a little bit older so you saw a lot a lot of those movies in a theater which I I did intervene yeah. in but yeah. but it's also this idea of like even you're thinking back on you know you when you look at films like that ex, especially exploitation films that were so low budget that they become documentaries of the place that they are you know portraying that yeah, it's like getting into this sort of window into another world and it's and sometimes it's really quite frightening like what is that world that existed back then where everyone looked different and, you know yeah no and especially i remember being very scared of the counterculture when i was a little kid i remember my, my parents taking me to a like a hippie restaurant in westwood and like like yeah, in wow. 1970 or something is like one of my uh, real early memory and like the waiters were all hippies and it was dark with like you know psychedelic posters on the wall and it just it just reeked of um you know uh, drugs and manson death or something it was just really <laughs> really, but really scary yeah it just for anybody who's like watching or listening but that's it's all sort of to the text of this story in a way you know, yeah. it's like that's one of the other things we sort of talked about. I think that first time was like also this idea of the sort of Manson, Manson version of the 60s and how that sort of hung over everything. And we've got some uh, questions here from our lovely audience. Um, one that we can have Ben start with and uh, have you guys answer as well from a friend of the store, I believe, Dash Shaw, um, asked if a comic can be scary, not a movie, but a comic as you're reading it can be scary. And what is an example of a comic that actually scared you? 
Ben, take that away. Okay, so um, right, so yeah, Dash Shaw is a friend of Scott. He's he's also a friend <laughs> of mine. I figured. Uh, yeah, uh, thank you, Dash, for the question. Um, so I I like to say this, but my 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 first comic that I ever bought that I went to buy like myself off the racks was this was this comic called Space Beaver, which was done by this guy, Derek Robertson, when he was like 17 years old. Derek Robertson went on to draw Transmetropolitan and The Boys, um, most notably. Uh, but this was his first comic effort, and it, it was the first issue, and it was during the te Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle, Black and White Boom, Anthropomorphic Animals, um, you know, doing superhero stuff. So it was a science fiction uh, story about this vigilante beaver and his like sidekick turtle. And it was incredibly violent. So it was these cute animals committing atrocities on these other animals. Uh, and so they were fighting this evil emperor who was like a pig. And there was this pinup in the back of the book. I think it was, I'm pretty sure it was issue one of Space Beaver uh, with a knife standing over this wolf guard who were like the stormtroopers, uh, who he had just like gutted completely. And there was just blood everywhere, blood on all their fur, blood on the walls, blood on the floor. And the image terrified me so much that I couldn't turn to that page uh, in the comic. I was like, you know, in fifth grade or something like that, but it was just the uh, ferocity and the gore, uh, not just in the picture, but that Derek Robertson could conceive of this scene and then depict it uh, in this way was so um it, it was it was so emotionally charged for me i just i couldn't even look at the picture i was i was actually terrified of like the back of the comic it's like i couldn't turn to it so um you know i eventually kind of got over that feeling but i think that that's the kind of thing that when you're growing up and you're seeing some things in the world maybe maybe it's in movies or ideas presented in movies or in comics um that's when they can have the most uh effect on you and i think that like since then i've tried to replicate the experience of reading that comic that one issue in all of the other comics that i've done yeah yeah i know what you mean it's sort of in film it's sort of like you know it's, it's a more familiar uh experience in film where you encounter something and it's when you feel like you're too young and i don't know yeah. if there's an if there's an age cutoff for that right it's like but it's like you know because someone could be 30 years old and just feel like they're too young for something totally to encounter yeah so maybe someone is going to like some copy of disciples is going to show up somewhere <laughs> it's going to be that thing for somebody maybe. <laughs> yeah i'll have to think hope. of a yeah, I'll have to think of a panel that could. There may there may have been a few 
as I was going through, but I did, I, I was unable to stop scrolling. I had to keep going. I read it in one sitting, um, because it was that propulsive. Um, and I can't wait for everybody else to get to do that as well. Um, (laughs) and so we've got another question here from Daniel and we can start with, uh, We'll start with Nick and David on this one and then move to Ben. He asked if there was something that you wish had made it into disciples, but didn't um, either because it was voted down by the collaborators or it just didn't make it in. So maybe something that didn't make it into your final draft of the story. And then if Ben wants to chime in about any ideas maybe he had that didn't fit tonally or anything like that. David, I mean, I mean, I mean, I guess, yeah, there's, yeah, I I mean, I think in, in terms of that self cannibalization thing I was talking about, I, I do recall there's all kinds of inter, there's all kinds of images that I keep putting in these things and then the movie never gets made or it gets made and they don't do that part. So then I just take that scene and put it in something else. And it's like just playing, like whack whack a mole or, or something like that. So I do remember there was one bit. There's a kind of a gender reveal thing in here, which I won't like 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 spoiler get, get into. But there, but I remember. Yeah, I already heard it. <laughs> but there's one thing I remember. I always always like. I it's just always had this 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 bit of of a of a of a person having um like a ta- somebody else's tattoo from from a former lover, like sewn on to um, the the breast and then a bit of business to do with this kind of sewn on tattoo on the naked breast. And I remember liking that and being a little disappointed that didn't make the cut, but that's, that's about the only, the only thing I can think of really. Um, this, this one had a, had a pretty good percentage of, of things making it in. I mean, it's, it's a very small scale, compact things. So there wasn't like a lot of room for um, my usual broke um, digression. Well, you know, <laughs> I felt like I was the bad guy with a lot of that stuff like that you would write and then I would say, well, I don't know, no, we don't need all this. Stuff. But I just remember like, the, like this, these amazing, no there's, there's like the, like the whole thing. I guess it's like, you know, it's probably midway through the story when they're in the house and there's the thing with the baby, like it's like, like I remember you writing meticulous in meticulous detail about the wood paneling about like that's like that's like and, and it was something about the, the how they were speaking through this door and it was this sort of very 70s style like wood paneling and like oh, right. and like you made a note about it. it's like it's the kind of thing that you see and it was like and that, i got so familiar with that in your writing where it's like it, clearly there was some obsession that you were working out you know but, <laughs> yeah. but i have to say that like you know, so, you know, in the collaboration of the story, I feel like I was always the sort of dry one. You know, I've directed a series of, you know, more or less commercial horror films. And, you know, and and David, you know, wrote the movie that won the French fucking Oscar. Like, he was the one who, who came up with this, this stuff that every time I would sort of get the story back and there would be something new, like that moment when the character's telling that little story to the baby about the person that has oh, that made one, right. one else like 
that's all David Burke, you know, and I just feel like it was like sometimes you'd be just like a wind up toy man when I just sort of put put like give you the scene and then I just get back this like gold. And of course, the gold was completely perverted, like so much of the time, <laughs> but amazing. And so, you know, um, I don't remember anything specific. No. I, I was the one who was probably responsible for taking a lot of it out because. No, was, but, but also Nick's being very humble and self-deprecating there. But no, it's like. I don't have the best track record of actually getting things made. That should be that you say. And, and, and Nick is, well, it's French. It doesn't really count. Um, <laughs> but, but, but Nick really like knows how to like kind of like take things and, and kind of move them forward. And I think and I think Nick's it's really to Nick's credit that it has the shape that it does, that it was, that it was something that, that Ben was able to work with, basically. I, 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 yeah, sure. But, um, you know, and maybe someday there'll be a, there'll be a, a, a movie, you know, um, but Ben, and that I mean, would be nice. Too. Yeah. Well, I, if, if we want to jump on that real quick, I have more than one person asking in the chat, if we may see a film adaptation of disciples at any point in the future. I mean, if we they have, have money. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, here's the Venmo to send it to. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so when when we originally wrote it, and then Ben started to draw the comic, I was you know attached as a director, and that was the idea. And I thought this was going to be the next thing that we're going to do. And and then I ended up doing something else. And uh, the producers had a different director like, that we like approved, and he's like a really great guy. Um, but we'll we'll see what happens with that. You know, it's sort of like, you know, we have our fingers crossed because I still like, you know, it's like just preparing for this. I, you know, was reading it again, uh, not the script, but the, the the comic, and I was like, I just would love to be able to to do it because it's you know to see it get made in some form because it's so filled with you know sex and violence and twists and just sort of dark warped things and and like. And I love the idea of there being a movie that this graphic, and I think John Schoenfelder, the producer, that was his idea. It's like the comic just is going to exist as some brilliant other version of the same story, which will doubtlessly change in some way. And maybe too, Ben, it's some, it's a distillation of, because you could, you didn't have to censor anything, you know, yeah. not that it's so X-rated, you know, but it's like, um, you know, but it'll be, I, I like the fact that you sort of preserved um, this thing that we wrote. And in a way, that's the whole reality of filmmaking is like a script is a blueprint for a movie. And it's always evolving in the circumstances of how the movie gets made. And so, um, and, and, you know, films at the end of the day, they're not even finished. They're just abandoned, every one of them, you know, that you just sort of, they, they land where they land. And so um, this your sort of brilliant comic of this is one sort of iteration of this idea that David and I had, and you just brought it to this in this whole different place, you know? Yeah. But it's funny, like, um, when you just brought up the sex and violence in the story, like, uh, I was just thinking about one of the things that you said to me before I started drawing it, you were like, I'm really curious to see how you handle the sex scenes. And I was like, yeah, me too. And, uh, you know, when I started drawing them, I had with every intention to make them completely X-rated because I feel like in comics, you can 
you can make the sex on the same level as the violence. Like you can make it as explicit. Um, and with fanographics, they don't care either either way. Um, but I drawn this. I drew the sex scene with um, like hardcore imagery initially, but I cut it out because it didn't feel like it fit into the story. It felt like it was taking away from what um, it felt like. It felt like I was turning the the story into into terror assaulter in a little bit of a way. And it was, it was going, it was going to go to a place that I didn't want the reader's attention to go to. Um, It was, and it felt like I was just doing it because I could do it, which is something that I did in terror assaulter, but that wasn't the point of this story. Um, So it, it, it felt like in order to preserve like, the true spirit of, you know, the story that, that you guys, that you guys told that I, that I, that I didn't want to, um, destroy that. I knew that if I, if I had done that, it would have taken the reader right out of it. Um, but I knew that if I kind of kept, it's pretty explicit still. Like, I don't think you could shoot this scene that I drew and have it get anything, but like an NC 17 rating. But, just, um, if you're talking about the scene where she cuts him, when she yeah. Like, yeah, it's funny. It's like, it's probably, it's like, because that, that scene is just about her pleasure. That's probably why it would get fucking cut. Right. It's <laughs> right. Like, yeah. Yeah. So like, actually feeling something, you know, like, right. <laughs> but I wonder, you know, it's sort of, you know, that's, um, and by the way, again, that's, it's all, that was that conversation I had with David Burke, <laughs> David, you <laughs> that idea was good but, um no i think it's like that makes that makes sense that you uh to hold back and you like, that was because the story is that she's experiencing pleasure and that that's the point of the scene the right point of the scene is that you get to ogle people having sex and like i wanted i wanted to 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 do it like x-rated because i felt like you know like i said the comics are able to do that sort of thing and um you know with movies you can't and I, I kind of surprised myself because when I, after I drew it, I read through it. I was like, this doesn't really work. You know, if I'm looking at it objectively, um, specifically for this story. And I don't know why, maybe, I don't know if it's like, you know, because I was seeing it like through the lens of like it as a screenplay and me as like a, a filmmaker with, um, you know, a comic book page uh or what but it just it just yeah it just didn't seem to fit properly but um Mm -hmm. yeah no and i'll say when i did the last movie i directed the prodigy i put a a scene of full frontal male nudity and um the person who shall remain unnamed who was the head of the studio at the time (laughs) was like cut out the uh dick And he's like, in like this scene, these scenes of like people being butchered, you know, like, right. like you know, those were yeah. fine, you know, <laughs> a little, a little kid saying like triple X rated dialogue, like that was okay, but like right. the, the shot we had of a penis, you know, no, audiences don't want that. <laughs> and then we have a few more questions. Um, 
some of them we've already answered a little bit. Um, but Ben, I'm going to throw sort of two-parter at you. Um, first, someone wants to know if you are much of a Bernie Wrightson fan. Um, it, no, I'm not actually. Uh, I, I, have a, I have a ton of respect for Bernie Wrightson. And when I was younger, I really liked Bernie Wrightson. And when I look at those Frankenstein illustrations, those are pretty insane looking. Um, but it's funny, like I kind of grew out of Bernie Wrightson in a lot of ways. There's There are things that I really love about his stuff. Um, and some of his comic book work, I really like his original Swamp Thing issues are pretty, uh, are pretty in incredible. But, um, you know, when I look at Bernie Wrightson stuff, it doesn't today, it does, it just doesn't inspire me to draw. That's how, that's when I, when I look at like art that I love, it's like stuff that really makes me want or feel compelled to draw after I see it. Um. But yeah, it's, I think he's, he's an incredible artist and it's not, it's not, it's not that he, he's, I think he's like, um, empirically like incredible. You can't argue with it. It's just not something that I tend to gravitate toward, unfortunately. And then I've got a question for everyone and we can go around the room and this will be a, a, a great way to end our evening and leave people with some uh, some ideas of what they can read and watch before they get their hands on a copy of Disciples. Jim wants to know how old were each of you when you started watching horror movies and when you started reading comics? So that's the main question. And then I figured you could leave us with a recommendation for what it is, what would be like a great first comic for someone to read the first mm. one ever and also first horror movie to watch to get them into the genre. Uh, I'll, I'll, go, I'll go first. Okay. For, for uh, well, the first horror movie I ever saw was actually probably not really a horror movie. It was Barbarella, but there's there's a scene in, in Barbarella where she gets attacked by these dolls that have fanged teeth. Oh, yeah. And it was to this day by far the most terrifying <laughs> image I've ever seen in a in a movie. So I would recommend uh, Barbarella as a good traumatizing thing. And also, I was never <laughs> never into comics at all, uh, except um, I had uh, there was an old copy of Creepy that I that I got my hands on when I was a, a kid, and it did have a it was a horror comic, and there was one one in there about um, Santa Claus crash landing on this island where there's all these starving children who look like ghouls are the only ones left alive and they they start by eating the reindeer and then they eat santa claus it's, it's just great because like as they're devouring santa claus he's still filled with empathy for these starving <laughs> little children he's going oh no poor children poor children as they're eating it, it's really heartrending so if wow. it's possible to see creepy at all, like 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 that, that to me that was that was creepy or eerie. I get them confused sometimes. But those those EC comics, they they're they're considered campy now or whatever. But I, I thought they were genuinely terrifying. So that's that's it for me on comics. Yeah, and I, you know, I also 
I, I always was obsessed with the EC comics and I really didn't read any others. Uh, and that all came from my interest in horror movies. And I, I still love those comics. And, um, uh, and sort of several times in my life I've cycled through, you know, reading them like, um, the horror comics, but also the crime comics and particularly the science fiction titles like weird fantasy. Um, that art is just so beautiful. And I discovered at some point that my father had read them when he was a kid and I dragged out an issue that he, he had described. He said, I remember reading this and he described an EC comic to me and I had had, you know, I, I, I had it. And so I pulled it out and I thrust it in his hands and then he, he read it and then didn't say anything. He just went about doing whatever he was doing. And I was like, you just, you know, this is one of the most beautiful pieces of art in the 20th century. Like, what do you, what do you think of this? And he was like, it was okay. I don't remember it being so melodramatic. That's what it's like. And it's like, that's the thing. It's like, I think for us looking back in history, it's like, you know, is we're of a different generation to look at the, at those, those comics as works of art. You know, um, I never really read, uh, comics contemporary maybe some of the underground comics of the 80s and 90s um and with it's funny david you mentioned like the first thing that's scary. it's like there's so many great horror movies to recommend you know but the the movie that actually completely fucked up my head when i was a kid a little kid was i saw this movie on television called the thing that couldn't die and it was a black and white late 50s horror movie very obscure still very obscure and it was about uh, this woman with a divining rod on a ranch is, you know, looking for water and she, the, the branch bends and then she says, don't dig there. There's something evil. Of course they dig and they find this chest. And when they open it, there's a severed head inside of it of a Satanist that, that will hypnotize you if you look in his eyes. Um, and that movie, which I watched by myself on a black and white television in the basement, completely destroyed me and haunted me for years and years, and especially because I couldn't see it. It wasn't available. And it never was released on VHS tape. Oh. Um, and I finally got like a bootleg of it when I was about 18 years old. And it was like replaying a dream because I had remembered specifically these moments, but there was a very, you know, I had to go to the library and look it up the title and reference books to know that it, this thing existed. <laughs> you know? So anyway, that's a movie and comic books. I love stuff like that. Um, for me, earliest comic was, I remember, I, I don't remember exactly, but I, I think my earliest comic book was the adaptation of Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. It was a magazine format, Marvel Comics production. And um, my mom gave it to me as like a present to occupy me while we were flying to Oregon to visit family one summer. Um, and then for, for horror, I, I was really, I was like really scared of horror movies for a long time. But I remember as a very little kid, there being this promotion, I was obsessed with TV though. And I remember um, there being a promotion for watching Creature from the Black Lagoon in 3D on your TV. 
uh, and there was, I think you got the glasses at like McDonald's or something like that. 7-Eleven. Like was it 7-Eleven? So like I remember and I, that part of it like was really awesome to me because it was sort of like this treasure hunt in a way. Like you had to go and get the glasses in order to watch this event. So I, you know, got my dad to get me the, take me to like the 7-Eleven or something to get the glasses. And we got the glasses and ready to watch it. We had a black and white TV, so it didn't work. It didn't work, like, yeah. So it was just the creature from the Black Lagoon, kind of fuzzy. Yeah, you know. <laughs> so I kind of watched, watched it. A little, I think I watched a bit of it like that. But uh, I remember my dad kind of explained to me, "Look, it just if we don't have the right TV, you know, it doesn't work." But me, like my kid logic, it still didn't like make sense that it wouldn't work, or that you know, for some reason we had done everything correctly, but still wasn't going to happen um so i think that 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 was i guess technically like my first horror movie that i sort of watched they're all like dreams yeah all three of our experiences <laughs> they're all <Yeah>. like that <laughs> well before we wrap up i'm gonna see if i can bring ben's camera up for a a final goodbye so you can see that it was him the whole time but thank you uh to everyone for uh sticking with us through our te technical difficulties um thank you to our guests benjamin mara david burke and nicholas mccarthy for chatting with us about all things disciples and if you have not ordered your copy of the book yet you can order one from skylight books by using the shiny green button at the bottom of your screen and sitting at my desk at the store are a big stack of signed book plates by all three of these guys that traveled around the country from one person to the next. And if you order a copy of Disciples from Skylight Books, it will come with one of those signed book plates. So you can do that by clicking the green button down at the bottom of the screen. And thank you all so much for joining us. We can't wait for you to get your copy of Disciples on June 28th. Great. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. Thanks. Thank you, guys. Have a good night. Okay. You too. Thank you for listening to the Skylight Books podcast series. Please don't forget to visit our website at skylightbooks.com and make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for more author talks and bookseller conversations. You can find us on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Stay safe and healthy, and we hope to see you back in our store soon.